Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize the growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. Here we go. I am really excited. We have Matt Young on the call today. Um, Matt, you're the CEO at User Voice. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So this show is going to be a little bit different than normal. I mean, typically we talk about marketing and sales and and all things related to that side of the revenue equation, but I haven't had a show just dedicated to a side that still absolutely drives revenue for the business in a, in a really meaningful way, but the retention side of that equation. And I think that from your position, uh, there's a lot that we can talk about, you know, retention and product side of the revenue equation. So if we just wanted to dive straight into that, I, I'm curious if we open that up as a, as a theme, what's most top of mind for you, even in your own organization around retention and product? Yeah, I think a lot of SaaS organizations think about the role of marketing and sales and even the product with product-led growth and free trials to set the hook to get people in the door um, in the first place. And good product management can really go a long way in making sure that your company is just delivering ongoing value over time. So that you know, while we're all very focused on customer acquisition cost, let's think about raising lifetime value by keeping people around for longer, thinking about expansion opportunities finding ways to you know deepen people's investment in your organization and and build loyalty not through the traditional channels of of marketing and business development that way but through you know an actual great product which is why we're all here and and want to make sure we continue to continue to deliver yeah it's interesting it reminds me of some of the work we've done with dropbox around like this this idea of the free trial and aha moments i know this is something you and i have discussed previously but mm -hmm. you know companies are quick to pour fuel in the fire in channels to acquire but then sometimes slow to take the time to dig into real customer insights and understand like what is our shortest path to an aha moment? What are those aha moments? And do they change over time? I'm curious how you operationalize some of that within your own organization. Yeah, it's a really good question and something that I think that there's some organizations that are just fantastic at it. Like they're very good at identifying what that aha moment is, especially during a free trial. But there are further stages in a customer's life cycle is they're a customer of yours. There's, uh, you know, once they get past onboarding is a critical moment that we think about, you know, we've kind of set them adrift and hopefully made them, you know, ready to, to create their own success. There's that time when their renewal is about to come up that you want to have a, a QBR or whatever it might be to talk to them about renewal. And you need to think about those milestones and make sure that you're continuing to deliver value. So in our own organization, we map out a customer journey just like anyone else. We had in early days been really focused on onboarding and making sure that we're providing something that can get people in the door, that can get people to experience a, a great free trial. But we found when it came up into renewal time, we were getting some of that like, what have you done for me lately syndrome. A lot of that was about education and making sure that we could show people areas of the product that they might not be familiar with, that maybe they were, were overwhelming at first or you know, require a deeper level of understanding. But in other cases, and I, I think at most product companies, it's really true that some people are just not listening. Uh, when your customers are telling you either in a QBR or through a support ticket or something like that, 
hey, I feel like you guys should and could be helping me with this. How do I get that done? And while I admire companies that are pretty blunt and say, well, hey, we don't do that and don't you know, give someone some kind of smoke screen to say like, oh, you could kind of sort of do it this way, but really lean in and take that opportunity to listen to people and find out what is the pain that you think we can help you solve. That's going to show you what, what new market opportunities are out there. Maybe you don't solve it today. Maybe it's a new module in your product. Maybe it's a new product. Maybe it's a new way to market your existing product. So user voice, obviously, is a product to collect product feedback and really help you listen to people. And we try to you know, I'm not going to use one of those cliches, you know, the one I'm thinking about, uh, but to me, that's a gift, right? You've got someone who's there, who's willing to tell you what their problems are, and they've already connected with you, which is something that's really hard to do in market research. And they're ready to tell you what they think the solution should be. And before people dismiss them because it's a scale problem or because they might not be right in your target customer base, awesome. Set up the interview. Let's spend 30 minutes tell me all your problems um, and let me listen to you. Uh, we also try to escalate those to the product team uh, so that they're listening to them directly and they don't need to get filtered through a customer success manager. Not that they're incapable, but it really is the product manager's job to really like zoom in on how a product can fix a problem for someone. Um, so we make sure that we bounce a lot of those conversations uh, up to the product team as much as we can and have just as many of them as we possibly can. How um, in a world where it feels like it's becoming increasingly easy for people to stand up a product. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the signal to noise, call it 15 years ago or 10 years ago even, is, is much greater now, or rather noise to signal. Uh, but yep. how do you think that's impacting, impacting this whole equation and, and collecting product? How, how does that all relate? Yeah, uh, it is easier. And I think that's a good thing. Like societally, like building good software is easier than it's ever been. And that's going to benefit us all as an operator or a business, it kind of sucks because it, it means you have to work harder to earn and keep that business. I think what that means is that the core functionality of your product, you know, there's going to be competitors for it. When user voice came to market in 2008, within years, there were 8 million knockoffs and there are today. I can't compete against that. They, they built something fast and cheap. They wrote on our coattails of all the research that we did and just cloned it. We're not a litigious company, so I'm not going to go after them and, and try to shut them down. I'm going to try to make sure that we are looking forward and figuring out what's next. So I think um, the devil's really in the details, like making sure that the user experience and workflows that your product provide really fit what your user is trying to do and that you're innovating. And that word gets thrown around a lot, but it's pretty difficult to think about how to apply new trends in technology to problems. So making sure that you're continually understanding what the problem is that you're trying to solve and how that evolves over time. It, it definitely changes over time. Making sure you're really listening and really moving forward. It's kind of that, it's, I, I wouldn't call it an 80-20 problem. It's kind of like a 90-10 or even 95-5 problem. The margin of the place that you get to impress people in your product is, is just moved to the edges as, as it's so easy to build stuff. I also think that it's so easy to, to find capital to market it, that that's also become a really big problem too. So, you know, you might get blown over by this tidal wave of money that just someone threw it at advertising their product. Could be a lot worse, but there's their, their visibility in the market that you don't have. Out of, so out of curiosity, with all of this competition in any market, I know you and I have brainstormed a bit about like continuously revalidating your value prop. And, and I think even us through Mattermade, we, we talk to a lot of companies who are 
And they're like, no, we're solid on product market fit. We're good to go. Here's what it looks like. Let's just sprint and scale. How do you like to think about when and how to reevaluate and recalibrate on your value prop? Mm -hmm. I think product market fit is a point in time analysis. It's bad news, right? Like it's it's hard to evaluate it. Um, It's definitely hard to get it. But once you see it, like the clock starts ticking, uh, your foothold in the marketplace starts to erode right away. So uh, we do it continuously, which I I would air quote, uh, in the same way that good software products are continuous deployment. They're constantly deploying new software. We try to espouse something called continuous validation, where in any new feature we release or in any new feature that we're researching, we're not just talking about the feature. We're not just talking about the functionality Do you like the way it looks? Do you understand the way it works? But we're always making sure that we're correlating that back to a problem that we're solving. Every single project we do, we operate in eight-week cycles using the shape-up methodology that Basecamp produced. Uh, Every project we propose starts with the problem. And the problem doesn't say things like, users are having trouble using the software here or there. It says things like, competition is evolving and product managers need to think about how to differentiate their products more. They're real world problems, not our company problems or our software problems. So the research that we do on those those features or enhancements or even new products is all oriented around making sure that it solves a real and valid problem. You must see a lot of or come across a lot of companies who feel as though they're doing a good job of user research when in fact, from your perspective, with the number of companies that you see and, and talk to and, and just your your point of view on the industry, you can tell they actually aren't there and that they, there's lots of opportunity for them to improve the way in which that they're um, incorporating user feedback into everything. What are some of those cases? Like how, for, for listeners on the call who are wondering like, or maybe they're thinking to themselves, like, yeah, we're, we're good to go on this front. What are some of the, the telltale like stories that you have? Yeah. I think one of the primary problems we see, and uh, Elias, I think you're generous in saying that some people don't do it so well. Like we've all done, <laughs> all of us in the history of time, we've all done terrible research that we were convinced was really, really good. So don't feel bad if you think you do bad research or think you do good research and it's not good, it's, it's hard. One of the primary things that we see is uh, when there are silos. So if marketing is doing market research and product teams are doing product research and sales teams are thinking about what the buying process should be, if those teams are not talking to one another, um, it creates redundancy in the research that they're doing. And it also fails to take advantage of the multiple different viewpoints that your customer has of your company. They interact with marketing, they interact with sales, they interact with the product. And to them, you're just one entity. So first, all your teams need to share their research and make sure that that's that's clear. A lot of people get scared to get started with research because they think it's this big, complicated, scientific thing. I hear a lot of companies who are operating, uh, we're a a 35-person company, not very big. So statistical significance is not really a a thing that we can reach. Like I'd have to do a study with 10,000 participants or something like that to get what we need to. So take all those notions that a scientist is going to look down their nose at you and say, this research is inadequate because of you know statistics reason X, Y, or Z. What you're trying to do is build enough confidence in your team that you really understand the problem and you can really go forward with it. And there's a lot of ways to do that simply and easily. There are tools, there are uh, interview methods, there's picking an appropriate sample size for what you want to learn. 
this is one thing area where we, we try to publish a lot of blog content and things like that to, to try to help people out with it because it is an overwhelming uh, process for people. But generally speaking, if you learn something, share it as widely within your organization as you can, because someone's going to have a piece of information that correlates with it, that's going to make it even more valuable in the end. And that's one of the, the primary opportunities that I see people miss out on. Interesting. I, I'm curious now, zooming out to talk a little bit more about you, like what, what has you excited about user voice today and the future? Yep. User voice is a really hard problem in general. The notion of like keeping an audience engaged in, in product feedback over the past several years, like, I don't know about you, but like, I look at my email and it's noisy and annoying and everyone's asking me for my opinion every time I turn around. Uh, and I think we've all gotten a little bit jaded. You know, what do you, you know, if I take the time to do this, what are you going to do with it? Like, what do I get? And someone might throw you a $25 Amazon gift card, but what I really want is your product to get better, um, to be able to use it, right? That's, I'm happy to give you my time for free if something good comes out of it. So we've been spending an, an awful lot of time thinking about the behavioral science behind the, the relationship between a customer and a product and making sure that that can become more personal in what is increasingly a really impersonal at scale world. So I think that um, in the early days of user voice, when it was a novel idea to, to put a listening post out there to get product feedback, a lot of people were letting that drive what they did. They were getting that feedback. They're being very reactionary to it. Um, and I, we've all learned that that's just not a great way uh, to go about uh, using your product feedback to the best advantage. So what we're really thinking about is how do you take that feedback through whatever channel it comes in? It might come in through a support ticket. It might come in through a survey or a conversation with a sales team. It might show up because you read Twitter about a competitor. Uh, that's product feedback for you. How do you take all that stuff, put it together? And that's not enough. You have to use that to further refine your hypothesis and then go talk to people. It's really the evolution of the interaction between a company and their customers or potential customers that has me excited about user voice. The software is the software, but I think our long-term understanding of the industry and expertise that we've developed in, in that relationship building is the thing that I'm most excited about. So when, when we get new customers and they start using our software and they ask us for advice, they often ask us for advice about how to use the software. And our response to them is usually something like, uh, or, well, the software told you, you should probably go interview these people. So that's not a software thing. That's a help you do your job better thing. And a lot of people are really open to that, you know, notion of a vendor as a career coach in a, you know, it's kind of an overdramatic way to put it, but uh, <laughs> their ability to like, just help you get a little bit better at your job every time you turn around. And last question, as we wrap it up, I, I'm curious along your path to CEO and to where you are today with, with your career and with user voice, yep. who are some of the folks, either mentors or just people who have been influential when you look back um, along your path? This may sound dark. The most I, I'm good start. Good start. <laughs> it, it's yeah. This may sound dark. <laughs> I'm just imagining like what people are filling in in their head is the answer to this. It's not that dark. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's all the people that I've wronged along the way. Um, all the people I made colossal mistakes in front of. Every person I managed who I I did the wrong thing for, or you know wasn't motivated for the right reasons, or forever, for whatever my best effort was, it wasn't good enough and something like that. Those are moments that I think a lot of us are wired to dwell on the, the bad stuff in their history. And they've been very formulative in 
how I try to make sure that I don't screw over our employees or our customers. Like I, I'm one of those people that like, yeah, I'd rather take the financial hit than the reputational hit in almost all cases. So yeah, while I, while I don't want to name names, cause you know, there, there are examples if you're out there and listening to this, hopefully I've apologized to you already, but uh, for those of us that don't know what we don't know. It's it's really those people that stick in the most. On the flip side, in the industry, I really like people who innovate ways to find out very valuable information very quickly. Um, I love the way that Rahul Vora with Superhuman put the product market fit question into the mainstream. The How disappointed would you be if you didn't have access to this feature, or this piece of software, or whatever it was again? Because if you think about things like NPS, uh, NPS to me is not a really useful tool because are they talking about your price, your sales team, your product, et cetera. It's very difficult to get narrow information about it. Um, A tool like the product market fit question can be applied to a specific circumstance, which is really nice. So uh, people that come up with those really nice litmus tests for whether you're doing a good job or or how you might help people um, are also people that I'm really happy to follow and and, and, and proud to follow in their footsteps. That's probably the most fresh uh, and unique take on that question I've I've maybe ever had on the show. I I appreciate both sides of that perspective. So yeah, this has uh, been real fun. I thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it was a blast and uh, looking forward to any response or any thoughts that people have to share about any of this stuff because I think that's how we all, we all learn and get better. Absolutely. 